This is Mike Wilbon from ESPN's Pardon the Interruption, and I'm speaking with Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines podcast. Rhino, big major league signing this week, probably the biggest one of the offseason. And no, it did involve the Cubs. It did not involve the Cubs, but it certainly could haunt the Cubs, Chad, when they play this team. We're going to be talking about Trevor Bauer and the big money that he is going to be earning at least for the next three years. And it looks like we've got some clarity on when the season is going to start. We're going to talk about that. And my gosh, Rhino, have we had, I mean, we've had some great guests, but this interview, such great insights, so much fun. A lot of fun, Chad. This is somebody who's been on our wish list for a long time from ESPN, from Pardon the Interruption, from the NBA on ABC and ESPN. It is Michael Wilbon. You know, he's the reason we do the podcast the way that we do, Chad. It's maybe a little bit of a uh, shout out to PTI, but he was wonderful. We're so excited. This is part one of a two-parter with Michael Wilbon, and it is well worth it. So stick around because the Friendly Confines starts right now. Hey, this is Len Casper. You're listening to the Friendly Confines podcast with Chad and Ryan. First inning, Chad, as we talk about the big off-season story, and that is Trevor Bauer, the, I guess, gold nugget that everybody was wondering where he would end up going. You knew it was going to be dragged out right before spring training, and sure enough, it was. Trevor Bauer officially announcing he is a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers, signing a $100 million-plus contract over three years. My goodness, no longer in the NL Central. The NL West is going to be absolutely unbelievable this year, Chad. And not only that, the Dodgers look unbeatable. What do you think of this move of Trevor Bauer now officially a part of that Dodgers rotation? You've got to imagine the World Series is coming through Southern California, whether it's in L.A. or, or it's in San Diego. This just solidifies that. couple reactions to this, you know, as, as, as it's related to the Cubs. One, What's up with like belt tightening and, and, and the need to give some flexibility in the payroll because of the uncertainties of COVID the Mets and the Dodgers, they're not doing that. They're loading up. They want to win. This is just another black eye for the Cubs front office. You know, they, they keep saying that, you know, we've got to retool. We've got to, you know, worry about resigning all these guys next year. These other franchises are saying we want to win now. And Trevor Bauer is one of those win now guys. So this is a, um, you know, this is, is, it's kind of, I mean, it, you, you can't be Cubs front office and, and, and have any credibility right now with what you're trying to do from a payroll implication. When the team that just won the title says, you know what, we want to reload and have an even better rotation with Cy Young winners, future Cy Young winners, Hall of Famers, you know, loading up uh, on the market. The other piece of the puzzle is this is good news for Cubs fans because, um, you know, Chicago's not going after an ace, but the Cubs definitely need a four and a five. And you would assume that Trevor Bauer is going to kind of set the market in terms of it, it always goes top down. So now that he's been there, the, the guys in the next tier are going to are going to fall into place. And then and then uh, we'll see what what scraps are left from the Cubs. But a tremendous contract, I think I think is his uh, one year. He'll be the highest paid guy if he opts out after, uh, after the second year. Forty two million dollars for a season of pitching pro baseball. That's incredible, but well earned. He knows how to market himself. Unbe- yeah, yeah, un- unbelievable. And kudos to him and Rachel Luba, his agent, who has just come onto the scene and has really uh, been unbelievable and has really just um, kind of changed the way that baseball agents and players are kind of negotiating deals. But yeah, $40 million to be paid this year. He's going to be the highest paid player in baseball this year. $45 million in 2022 unbelievable contract for um, Trevor Bauer and and what he's going to be getting. Um, Yeah. And to your point about the Cubs, it is kind of sad. I mean, you hit it on the head. Like this is a team that is a top three market. It's a major market and it is playing like you're, you're the Kansas city Royals right now. And it's just sad and it's pathetic to see that the Cubs are not going to be a major force this season, I mean, a lot of things just have to go right this year 
for this team to even make the postseason, let alone try to make a run in the postseason. So <laughs> the Dodgers are going to be very extremely tough to beat. Not to say they're not beatable, because listen, anything can happen. But at the end of the day, when you're lining up three Cy Young Award winners in your rotation, plus a guy who could potentially win the Cy Young Award this year um, in, in, you know, Walker Bueller, uh, that is just an incredible lineup that uh, you're going to be seeing uh, day in and day out. So it's, it's scary to think what, uh, what this team's going to look like. Yeah, I know season. you're excited to watch more White Sox games. I got to tell you. I'm excited every time the Padres and, and Dodgers face off. I'm going to be watching that. I mean, the, both those teams are absolutely loaded. They well, you get both win now. teams. Don't you get both networks? You're able well, to I can watch get both networks. I can drive to both parks if they're allowed. But yeah, I can I can watch both games live. It's 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 going to be good. It's going to be it's good for baseball. And the fact that the Cubs just decided that they they don't want to play right now is so frustrating and bad for baseball. We'll talk about this more as the offseason continues, but let's move on to the second inning. And we had some big news in the last week about uh, Major League Baseball putting a proposal. I'm going to sum- summarize this, basically, putting a proposal out to the Players Association saying, let's let's delay it. Let's do it 154 games. Let's take some extra precautions. We're going to add in the DH universally, blah, blah, blah. The Players Association basically says, no, you're not going to dilute our earnings. You're not going to make more money in an expanded playoff. We'll start on time because there's no reason not to start on time because the other way would have gotten a lot more uh, power to the commissioner's office to maybe to postpone games or cut games, which would cut into the earnings of the Players Association. This is this is labor negotiation thinly veiled as uh, America's pastime. But the, the, the headline here, Rhino, is spring training and opening day are set to start on time. What do you think about that? Uh, um, do you think pitchers and catchers report in a couple weeks? Do you think the first spring training game is a, a few weeks after that? Do you think everything goes as planned? Well, I don't think everything will go as planned, Chad, but I certainly think that they are going to open in, a two, in, in the next two weeks, and we are going to see baseball, and we are going to see as much of a normal, regular season as possible. And, man, I am so happy about that. I'm happy that the players rejected it, for whatever reason it may be. I, You know, I like – having the traditional pitchers hitting and 162 games and, you know, the um, things that we are accustomed to, especially after what we dealt with last year, this is going to be a welcome sight and I'm looking forward to it. What about you? Well, you know, I'm really excited. You know, we, we've obviously previewed our, our guest this week, Michael Wilbon from Part of the Interruption and ESPN. He has some really good takes on some of the changes necessary in baseball in terms of, you know, the the, the seven inning double headers and, you know, the starting the, the runner on second and in and, and, uh, and the extra innings and the universal DH. I mean, uh, starting it on time in whatever fashion and function, I'm, I, I'm ready for it. I mean, I, we, we've talked about this so many times. For me, two-thirds of the year has Pat Hughes in my ear as I'm working during day games, you know, listening to the broadcast and spending time at Wrigley Field. This is, again, not going to be a normal year, but I need baseball. I need baseball to survive. I, it sounds pretty pathetic, but it's just it's a part of my fabric. I love, no matter how good or how bad the Cubs have been my entire life, it's it's what has always been on in my ear in front of me. I'm excited to see what the product's going to look like, you know, offensively. The, the, the Cubs uh, have the ability to be a, a powerhouse, you know, and they've got a good defensive team. The pitching is going to struggle. But in terms of starting on time, w- you know, the other leagues have proven you can do it. The fact that we're looking at Super Bowl weekend right here. And yes, it was very janky. You had some times where games are played on Tuesday morning. Um, you know, you had whole teams that were, were pulled out. You're seeing that in college basketball where, you know, subs and student athletes, you know, student trainers are, are, are filling out the team. Um, NBA, you're having the same situation with, with postponements and things like that. This is going to be a bit of a mess because it is a 162-game season. Um, but the thing that makes me feel a lot better is you, you've got things like that one-dose um, vaccine that's out there. Um, that is almost like a, a magic bullet for um, for the professional sports leagues. And, and, and I actually am one of the ones to say, hey, you know, it's, it's a small number that provides a lot of enjoyment for the most of America. I think all professional sports teams should get that vaccine. And I think that'll help things along. But I'm ready for it. I think we're at the time of this recording. We're about 55 days away from uh, opening day at, at Wrigley. I still have my plane tickets already purchased. I don't expect I'll be able to sit in my seats or even get on that plane. But I'm ready. I'm ready, Rhino. 
All right, third inning now, Chad, and uh, the Cubs officially announce their big signings. Chad, we got we did we got our own Trevor. Oh yeah, uh, his last name is Ed Bauer. It's Williams, who I'm actually intrigued by. He's going to be probably the four or five starter in this rotation. Um, Jock Peterson officially signs Andrew Chafin, who's Rod Beck 2.0 yep. for the Cubs. Actually, he was uh, pretty good last season. And then Sergio Alcantara, the Cubs picked up, uh, who was released by the Detroit Tigers, and he is a backup uh, infielder and, uh, you know, can play several positions in the infield. Uh, Chad, how pumped are you to officially have these huge signings for the Cubs this season? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I've never lied to the listeners. I mean, you know, people have said, You've never lied no, to the listeners. No, not about my wow. feelings. I mean, I mean, I, I've been very honest. I'll, I'll take an optimistic <laughs> view on hopes, but, but no. I mean, today was a was a yawner of, of a day. I mean, flurry of activity activities for the Cubs front office with these three signings and the other pickup. Who cares? You know, uh, people have been complaining. Why did they get rid of Kyle? Because we all love Kyle. I love Kyle. I want Kyle to succeed. I want him to become Bambino that we thought he was going to be that. Jock Peterson is basically a more affordable Kyle Schwarber. The other guys, I don't know if Trevor Williams is going to break, you know, break through and be one of the starting pitchers, you know, on this one year deal. But uh, obviously the front office thinks there's a chance they can do it. The Cubs are not really well known for, you know, taking prospects or reclamation projects from a, a starting pitching perspective and doing much with them. They're, they're, they've been doing some good things lately in the bullpen and in the reliever core. But, you know, you asked me if I was excited. I'm not excited, um, but it's necessary. I'm going to be more excited when I see what sort of steps I'm hoping this Trevor Bauer signing is actually going to trigger more opportunities for to see who these mid-tier pitchers who are going to come in and, and round out the Cubs lineup because that's the that's the, the scary part, right? Not the scary part, but that's the part that that we're, we have unknowns about is is how the the pitching uh, staff is gonna to, is gonna wind up. Um, you know what's going to happen at second base is still a, a a question mark as well. What about you? I mean, <laughs> there's a saying that I uh, say quite often, and it goes like this, Chad. It is what it is. Um, And this is a perfect example of that. We knew going into the season that they weren't going to be spending big money. Jack Peterson is probably going to be the biggest name that is going to be signed this off season. We know what this team has offensively. A lot of things have to go right for this team to really, you know, crank up the bats and get back to what we're used to. And the pitching rotation is still not at a place where I'm comfortable or feel like we know Who's going to be pitching? I mean, we basically have what right now that we know for certain, I guess, three yeah. starters, yep. if no, that, maybe two. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, this is just one of those things where there's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of things that we still don't know. And that we'll probably just have to kind of wait and see once we hit spring training. And once we get some games under our belt and once that happens, then maybe we'll have a better idea of, of how that's going to go down. And that's ultimately where I stand Fun on fact, this whole thing. And I'm, I'm feeling like I love these asides here. I don't normally do this in the show, but you mentioned Rob Beck. And I, I just, I have to, I have to, uh, I have to, to share this, you know, when he came over and I think it was, uh, what was it? Uh, 98. Um, he, uh, the Cubs sent over Mark Guthrie and a player to be named later, that player to be named later, the kid by the name of Cole Liniak that the, the Cubs sent over the Red Sox. Cole Leniak lives here in Southern California and plays on my Wednesday night softball league. And the first time I met him um, on my second at bat, I took him deep to a uh, center field. So I can honestly say that I hit a bomb <laughs> home run off of uh, former Cubs pitching great Cole and, and Boston Red Sox pitching great Cole Leniak. So how about that? Wow. Look it yeah. up now, so, folks. You know, we're going to we're going to go on uh, on and on uh, with these asides as, as the show goes on. But uh, stay tuned, everybody. Yeah, Michael Wilbon coming up in the seventh inning. So, Ryan, I'm moving on to the fourth inning. And you posed this question. I I push back a little bit. You, you basically said, is this the worst Cubs offseason ever? And I kind of push back to say, is this one of the most disappointing off seasons in recent memory? So I'll pose the question to you, Ryan, how you posed it. Is this the worst Cubs offseason ever? Yes. Yes, it is. And I'll tell you why. In the past, when the Cubs were tanking, you weren't expecting them to make any moves and you weren't expecting them to do anything to better this ball club because they were trying to tank. So those years in 
2011 and 12 and 13 and even 14, we knew this team was pretty much garbage. Now, you can go back as a fan, and I remember years even when they were terrible, you still thought they had the guys in position to win because they had names that you thought, all right, hey, at least they're trying. It didn't work out. I remember the 1991 season when they went out, signed George Bell and Dave Smith and Danny Jackson, and it turned out to be an absolute disaster because they were just all washed up as players. And at least though going into the season, you were like, wow, hey, maybe they got a shot. I don't feel that way at all. Even in 1992, when one of the worst moves of all time, when the Cubs let Greg Maddox walk to the Braves, and that was the end of that, but at least the Cubs went out and they signed five guys that you're thinking, okay, maybe there's a chance where, all right, we're trying to make moves to make up for the loss of Greg Maddox. But none of that has happened this year, Chad. Basically, it's been losing all these players and not replacing them with anything. So as far as I'm concerned, this is, in my lifetime, the worst offseason I have ever seen for this baseball team. Hands down. Do, not even a doesn't question. even compare with yourself? the worst when you know you're going to have an absolute loser. And and this, this doesn't feel like absolute loser territory. This is a team that won the division last year. They lost you, Darvish, which is huge. I mean, you lost the guy that without Trevor Bauer, this guy wins the Cy Young, which basically means he was the man in a shortened season. So, you know, and, and, and uh, I guess what I could say is I look at this team offensively. I touched on this uh, earlier. I look at this team offensively and defensively. They have the people in place that you'll see next year. There's a, a whole bunch of guys that are going to make a ton of money on the free agent market if they don't get re-signed by the Cubs. So these are guys that are known entities and have the ability to, to, to break out and do amazing things. They've struggled with the strikeout. They've struggled with one run production. They've struggled with the, the unevenness of their offense where it's, it's feast or famine. We've, it's a broken record, the feast or famine. We, could, we should just rename the, the podcast that if they continue on in that path. Um, but no, I'm not, I'm not disappointed that that you know they haven't gone out and signed 28 people and 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 I I'm disappointed by what happened with you Darvish. I'm hope I'm right. I hope something in the front office says you Darvish had exactly what we thought he would have over the last 18 months. The the the, the initial signing was a mistake. He was never going to be the man. You know, if he ends up being the man uh, in San Diego, then it's going to look really bad because the Cubs could have used him as the number one, number two. Uh, in terms of bringing on other players, I, you know, there had been some decent signings, but but for the most part, this free agent uh, offseason has been what it's been the last couple of years. So let's see what the Cubs do. Um, they had the opportunity if they wanted to, um, you know, to bring in Colton Wong at second base. The, the, the Brewers got him at a pretty favorable deal. That would have given the Cubs one of the best infields in, in, in Major League Baseball if you put him as a gold glover at second base and already gold glove off, uh, defense, rather. You know, that was a miss, I think, potentially. But then again, you look at the Cardinal fans that were happy to see him go because he batted like 220 or 240 last year. So not the worst offseason ever. Um, and I'll go back. Uh, intern Peyton uh, referred to your question, your your kind of open ended question about do we have two starters or three? Number one is Kyle Hendricks. Number two, Zach Davies. Number three, Alec Mills of the no hitter. Number four, your boy, your man, Albert Alzale. And then slated on the depth chart, according to Peyton right now, you are correct, Trevor Williams. Yeah, and and I mean again, that's all true, but so a lot of question many. marks in there, Chad. And I'd rather. I, me personally, I'd rather know I'm tanking as opposed to going into an offseason when, like you said, won the division, made the postseason. I don't think they're tanking, do nothing I don't think they're the tanking. Team. I think they think offensive is going to carry them through their pitching defenses, defenses uh, deficiencies. rather. They won the division last year. Yeah. Um, you know, we haven't even talked again about Arenado. We talked about it last, last week. Arenado changes the face of this division. But I think the front office really thinks if this Cubs offense can excel – There'll be something to contend with. And if you look at the players up and down, I think they are. I don't think that I don't know how you can have the lineup you have defensively and offensively and and think this is a tanking season. I think it's a prove it season and a show me season. I, I never but but remember, I never said they were tanking. I said that this was just a terrible offseason. They did nothing to upgrade a team that won a division. And that mm. I think is more infuriating, especially when you are trying to at least show that you're attempting, quote-unquote, to win. But let's move on now. So we'll talk about the fifth inning, Chad. And there was an interesting article on NJ.com, um, the paper in New Jersey. And uh, I think it's the New Jersey Plain Dealer. And there was an article that 
suggested the Yankees should potentially go after Javier Baez at the trading deadline and would give up um, three prospects in their farm system, three guys in their top 20. Um, and if that was available, they should go for it. Now, again, these are just hypotheticals. This isn't like something that's possibly happening. But if Javi is also struggling, again, remember, you got Ed Howard in the minors, Chad. You got somebody that's, you know, up and coming. Would you consider, again, to restock the farm system if the Cubs are not in a place where they potentially should or could be? Would you consider trading Javi Baez uh, to a team like the Yankees and try to get some solid Not going to name Javi. Not going to name Chris. I'm not going to name the players. For me, I appreciate those stories. Those stories are, you know, it's Thursday. What's a provocative thing to write about that people will click on it? That's what I think about those sort of stories. What I'll share with you as your direct question is, would I consider making moves at the deadline if it's very clear that the Cubs are not going anywhere? Absolutely. If you could, now hear me out on this, if you could send Baez over to the Yankees and come back with a haul and maybe have a top a top 10 or two prospect come back in the mix, um, and then Baez has the ability to come back and re-sign here, think about Adril Chapman. Chapman did that, and the Cubs got a haul from the, and the Yankees got a, a haul from the Cubs. So that's where I think the front office can say, you know what, this isn't our year but let's immediately restock and we can try to bring these guys back just because you deal somebody at the deadline doesn't make it a terminal decision. Just because you do that doesn't mean that it's over for that player. But yeah, if it's very clear, if the writing's on the wall that this team is not built for speed, it's not going to happen. I see no reason to, to make some moves. If it gives you the ability to build prospects and build out your farm, you know, the Yankees have largely had some success because of that 16 move. With the Chicago Cubs, they've got a, a bona fide all-star starter in the mix that the Cubs would absolutely love to have back if they hadn't have dealt with. He, he'd be probably starting second baseman right now. So, you know, so yeah, I have no problem with that. I'm not naming any names. But, yes, make any moves possible. But I'd like to see if this, this Cubs team can compete. We've already seen that the way to win in today's game in baseball, it's a lot different back in the day maybe when we were growing up or when we were in college where teams would go out and, you know, do kind of a Florida Marlins circa 1997 where they would buy a championship and bring in heavy free agents. That's not the case anymore. We're seeing more and more how farm systems are built, the importance of prospects, kind of like how the NFL is built now, right? Or even the NBA for that matter, how prospects matter so much more today when it comes to building that farm system, having multiple guys at multiple positions to be able to say, we have the depth and we can trade once we have those players. Basically what Theo did to build the Cubs 2016 World Series championship. So as far as I'm concerned, if this isn't a team that, as you said, not in contention, not really showing much promise, then I think anybody's on the table, including Chris Bryant, including Javi Baez, anybody that is willing to bring back a haul or solid prospects in return, I'm absolutely going to listen to. So I have no problem with that. But as you said, we'll just Love have it. to see. Love it. Move on to the sixth inning, and, and it's going to be a short one here because we want to get to this fantastic part one interview with Michael Wilbon from ESPN's Part in the Interruption. Fantastic discussion. We dug deep, not about the current stuff, but just about the real deep stuff um, with Michael. You're going to love um, uh, part one and part two next week. But here we are in the sixth inning. We're going to talk about a couple old friends. Uh, Dexter Fowler, no longer a Cardinal. Let's be honest, never really felt like he fit in over there with the fan base because that fan base is just rude. Those guys are jerks. But he is reunited with Joe Madden in... <laughs> Southern California with the Angels. What do you think about this move? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of those feel-good moves, right? You're bringing back a guy who two people know each other pretty well. Uh, so Dexter now with the Angels, probably going to lead off for the Angels uh, with Joe, who he's familiar with, who he has a relationship with. Um, certainly, listen, I mean, you know, we're partial to the Cubs, but I think we can both agree that it would be great to see Joe succeed in Anaheim. Um, he's got the best player in baseball on his roster. So if the Angels can kind of turn things around, which I have no doubt, I think Joe will be able to do that eventually. Um, I'd like to see it happen. But yeah, again, you know, listen, it's cool to see the two of them back together. They have that uh, relationship and certainly know each other pretty well. 
And I think it'll be a, a good opportunity for Dexter Fowler to kind of reinvigorate himself, play for a guy who he knows he can trust and have a comfort level with, and, and hopefully ultimately bounce back and have a good season. Well, I, I'm just going to briefly say love Dex. Um, Cubs fans love Dex, you know, and, and wish him well. Uh, I, you know, it, it's hilarious that uh, Albert Pujols has basically been an albatross on that, that Angels team that it may be impossible for them to overcome to actually have some, some success with uh, the best, uh, best player in baseball and Trout. But they definitely have a lot of the pieces. It's going to be exciting to see if they can stand out and even if they can get any notifi- you know, notoriety with the Padres and the Dodgers doing what they're doing. I mean, Southern California is where you want to be if you want to watch some really good baseball. But here's my point about Dexter Fowler, and this really is in my – I hate it. I hate it. It's one of the things when I look back with with frustration, consternation, if the front office had just signed Dexter to a two-year deal after 16, think about all of the issues that would have been resolved there. Starting center fielder, um, consistency, a leadoff hitter. I think that this team would have been – I think that's one of the misses. There's a few in Theo's reign, but bringing Dexter back after, after 16 for a couple more years, that could have changed the face of Cubs baseball. I'm excited to see he's there, but I feel like that's one when I see Dex and I go, ah, what could have been. Time now for the seventh inning stretch here on the friendly confines and Chad, you know, we've always had some great guests that come on with us each and every week. But this is a guest who, you know, Chad, when we talk, this has been one of our dream guests. Oh, yeah. And we finally have been able to get him on the program. Of course, of course, you know him as the co-host from Pardon the Interruption with Tony Kornheiser on ESPN. Longtime sports columnist with the Washington Post, part of the NBA on ABC and ESPN, and a columnist for the Undefeated as well. You can find him on all the social media pages, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Real Michael Wilbon. It is the real Mike Goldbach joining us here on the seventh inning stretch. Michael, it is such a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Friendly Confine. Well, thanks for asking me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So we have to say you kind of are the genesis for the reason why we do this podcast. To kind of put it in perspective for you, Chad and I, we do nine topics, which we call innings, and we debate them for about two minutes at a time. And then in the seventh inning, we have on an interview you might be familiar with that format a little bit. So they, say, they say copying is the biggest form of flattery. So thank you. We hope we can continue to do it this way and you don't uh, take, you know, come after us for any copyright infringement. No, 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 no rights fees will transfer, will transfer I promise you. <laughs> well, let's start here, Mike. Um, anyone who knows and follows your career knows you are a huge Chicago Cubs fan. I do know the story, but I would love for our listeners who may not know how Michael Wilbon became a Chicago Cubs fan, be it that you grew up on the south side of Chicago, where it's a predominantly White Sox neighborhood. How did that infatuation start for you when you grew up? Well, you know, there's, there's several parts to it. Um, I was a lot of a lot of people now who are 20 years younger than me. They'll say, well, I saw the games on WGN and I lived in San Antonio. Or I lived in Orange County or whatever it is. Well, I'm old enough to have seen both the White Sox and Cubs on WGN because all their games were on, were, were both teams were on. And so that wasn't it, although you could see all the Cubs games and you could, you know, that, that wasn't the case in hardly any other uh, baseball town. But I think the greatest part of it, and I grew up as a little kid watching both teams, and my father died to a White Sox fan. Um, he took us to White Sox games. We didn't go to Cubs games as, as little kids. We went to White Sox games. And I rooted for both teams. I didn't, I didn't know any better. They didn't play each other. It didn't matter to me. I was rooting for a team with Chicago one as a jersey. But when I got to be 10 years old, uh, maybe nine, um, I started playing Little League in West Chatham Park. And the jerseys on some of those players, my friends, were um, – they said Ernie Banks Ford on the back of the jersey. So need I tell you who was a co-sponsor for our Little League? Oh, wow. And Alderman William Shannon at the time was the other one. And the two of them, as far as I know, and I did some asking around years ago, um, they were – every park didn't have a Little League. Every park didn't have a Little League even in 1969 when baseball was still king. And baseball very much was king. Not, not pro football, baseball. 
in the late 1960s, even the early 1970s. And it, it, it turned after that. But when I was 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, I played Little League. Baseball was my first love. And the Ernie Banks sponsored my Little League. <laughs> so, you know, it's not, a, it's not a big jump. It's not a big leap. And Ernie Banks was the biggest star in town even when the White Sox were a better team in the late 60s when I started really paying attention when I was seven and eight years old. Well, the White Sox had a pretty good team. Blew a, blew a chance to win the pennant in 1967. Um, I don't remember what happened in 68. The Cubs got better in 68. I think they finished in third place in 67 and 68. That was like triumphant considering where they'd been. And, um, you know, by 69, obviously, is famous and infamous. But by then, I was, you know, Ernie Banks was my favorite athlete. I guess he had to share that space with Muhammad Ali. And um, I, I watched every at-bat I could of Ernie Banks the rest of his career, which only was only a few more years. I mean, Ernie was you know, retiring by, what, 71? So it was only the last four years of his career that I clearly remember. I remember a little bit, maybe in the mid-60s. But again, Ernie Banks Ford in blue letters on the back of those uniforms. And, um, you know, I got to see him in subsequent years as a grown man, as grown men. And I was always, uh, like I was a little child, approaching him. Uh, and he was always unbelievably gracious. And he used to, he had these memory things he would do. He would do he had these exercises to work on his memory so that he would not forget anyone or anybody or anything. I, I need to do that. I should have been doing it 20 years ago. And I saw Ernie Banks at Medina. Uh, at the PGA Championships, so I guess that must have been 1999, the Sergio Garcia duel, and Ernie Banks is coming into the tent, and another writer said to me, oh, there goes your hero, are you going to say anything to him? And I go, nope, I'm not going to say anything, because he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't remember me. And so Ernie was sort of shimmying between press tables to get to the other side, and he looks down, and I'm writing at that point, and he says, hey, Michael, how you doing? And he says, you, you better get back out to the neighborhood. Talk to the young guys out there sometime. And seriously, I could have fainted and died at that moment. It was like, like who? Is somebody in an earpiece? Is somebody in an IFB telling him who I am and where I lived? And, and you know, he just, he, this is what he did. He, he loved making people feel good in that way. And so, um, but Ernie Banks was my favorite player. There was nothing that was going to make me root against Ernie Banks and Billy Williams, and Fergie Jenkins, and Ron Sano, and those became, and teams stayed together, and those guys stayed together for years, so Jim Hickman in there, you know, and, and, and Kenny Holtzman, and Bill Hans, they stayed together for years, and you got to root for them, and see them, and felt like you knew them, and the Cubs were my team, and that, that's the way it stayed, so that's been, what is that, 50 plus years, yeah. That's uh, such a such an amazing and cool story. I, I obviously I know you have so many memories as an adult, of course, going to Wrigley and you know seeing them win the World Series. But I'm curious about as a child, Michael. Do you remember going to Wrigley for the first time? Do you oh, have yeah. any memories of oh, that yeah. and yeah. and what that experience was like for you when you got to walk in a Wrigley yeah. Field for the first time as a child? Life changing. Um, and I don't mean in ways that people might think I'm talking about. So again, I said my my father's a South Sider and a White Sox fan. One day I, when I was a I don't know, I have to be six or seven years old. I came home and Bill Veck was sitting on our front steps talking to my father. I don't even know how that happened. Jeez. I have no idea how that happened. I, and my father, you know, has been gone for 35 years. I can't go back and revisit it. But um, we had never been to Ridley Field. My father, and I've written about this, my father was one of the people who was turned away um, when he wanted to go and see Jackie Robinson play in Chicago for the first time. So this is sometime in the spring or summer of 1947. My father had been living in Chicago, had come up in the Great Migration from Georgia, had been in Chicago since he was 20, so he'd been there a year and a half maybe. And um, he wanted to go see Jackie Robinson play. And he was told to they, they weren't letting him in. And he vowed he would never go to Wrigley Field. Never, ever. He would never return to Wrigley Field. Which I understand much more now than I did when I was eight. But when I was 10, we would ask my father every summer, can we go to Wrigley Field? Can we go to the Cubs? And we would go to the players' we, you know, People would go to the players' parking lot back then. You could talk to players all day if they, if they had time. 
But we wanted to go and, and have this experience and see the IV and see it all in person. And you got to understand, I understand Wrigley Field maybe eight miles from Comiskey. Yes, it's still Comiskey to me. Eight miles <laughs> difference, but it's not eight miles. It's, it's, it's light years, especially in the 1960s when Chicago was the most segregated city in America. Black people just didn't get on the L and take the train to Wrigley Field. Now you, you might have gone somewhere on the north side to work. A lot of people were going to be a domestic. Rogers Park, was there was some integration in Rogers Park at that point. But you didn't just go to Wrigley Field. And not from the south side. And we, my mother said, okay, she went to my father, and I could overhear them having the discussion. And she said, look, um, I know this happened. I know that it angered you to your core. It angers me hearing, knowing the story. But you've got to take these boys to Wrigley Field. It's been, it's been 22 years you've got to take them to Wrigley Field. So my father relented. He uh, said we could go as long as we saw the Atlanta Braves so he could see Hank Aaron play. Ferguson Jenkins pitched against the Braves that day. Henry Aaron hit a home run and the Cubs won. I don't know how you can have a better result than that, but <laughs> the amazing. journey was much greater. I mean, walking to the L to get on it, to go past downtown, to go north of Chicago Avenue, to go to the north side, that was, that was a different existence. That was like going to a different city, like you needed a passport. I jokingly said my mother packed sandwiches, but I don't, I don't think that was a joke. I think she did. <laughs> it was that. It was, it was, you know, from, you know, I mean, I, I took the, I didn't, I didn't for the rest of my life have taken the train, taken the L to Wrigley Field, sometimes from that very home. Um, and it never struck me until I got older. What was, you know, what was going on? How different it was from going to Comiskey. How even when I took my uh, prom date in 1976, God, it seemed like it was a lifetime later. It was only seven years. You know, and she wanted to sit in the bleachers. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't know if this is good, a good, good, good idea to sit in the bleachers. And I was looked at. She was so fair skinned and complexion. I'm not sure people in the bleachers knew what race she was. But... I'm brown enough for them to know what, what I was, and the stairs, I will never forget them. It was like I was an alien to be in the bleachers in Wrigley Field in 1976. By the way, I've never sat in the bleachers again. Never. And I've been in Wrigley Field, so that's 43, 45 years ago. I've been in Wrigley Field in 45 years, I don't know, let's say 150 times, mm. maybe more than that, maybe 200 times. Never have I sat in the bleachers. And never will I sit in the bleachers. Um, that it, I guess you can call that scar tissue. But um, so going to Wrigley Field was a was a huge, unforgettable deal that impacted my life and views on lots of different stuff. Michael, I love that story. I appreciate it. Um, this is Chad, and and I want to um, before we pivot to current day Cubs, I'd like to hear your take on current day baseball and forget about COVID and all those different things. What do you think baseball needs to do differently to not only be more inclusive to, I mean, you mentioned early on, you know, baseball was King football is now King, right? Um, yeah. in, in certain parts of, of communities, basketball is, is King. Um, it, this is, this is a time when baseball I feel like is at a, at, is, 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 is potentially at a cliff where if they don't make the right decisions, they're going to alienate a lot of people. What do you think if you were commissioner for a day, what would you do differently? Man, we better start another podcast. We better start another session. Because <laughs> um, that would take a long time. I, uh, I, this Baseball is the only sport where I think of it in just the way you pose the question. Because I don't think of basketball and football that way. There's, there, there, there's sports that have made big changes along the way. Baseball, for the longest, made seemingly none. It's like you can, you can the line of demarcation is the, the adoption of the DH. What was that, 1972 or three? For the American League, um, there's so many things. I, I and, and and yet there are things I don't want to touch. Yet you know Tony screams at me that I'm a purist. I'm not a purist. I, I there's some changes I could take. I don't want to see seven inning doubleheaders. I don't want to see that. I, I I don't really want to see guys on second base to start extra innings, but I'll take it because the games are too long. I would shorten. I would figure out a way to shorten games. To I mean, you know, Joe DiMaggio said he never played a game that lasted longer than two hours in his entire career. So games should not last longer than two and a half hours. When I was a kid, games lasted two and a half. I, I know because I, I went to, I would leave, leave St. Ignatius 
and get on the train and go to Wrigley Field, and first pitch was 125. And by 4.30, I was at home. Yeah. I had taken the train home. And I, I, I didn't leave in the sixth inning. I watched the whole game. I was, still, I was home three hours later on the south side, which means the games are taking 205, 210, 225, or maybe 230. But now games are interminable. It's ridiculous. I would do something to shorten games. If that meant putting a clock on people, fine. I would, I would, I, and I hate the notion of clock. I would do that, um, first of all, but all of this has to be governed by labor peace. And baseball ownership and labor, are ju- they're just too ornery with each other to get it. And they, they don't care enough. They don't. They don't care enough because we see the labor stoppages. We see the work stoppages. We see it every few years. We see they come back the very next round of negotiations and don't give a damn. And I understand, and, and, and unlike other people, like yesterday, I just said this on PTI, when Tony said, you know, he talked about players having leverage and wanting to use it all. And I said, Tony, this comes after 100 years of the owners having all the leverage and using it all. All I have to do is say reserve clause. So I am not easily swayed by either side. I just know both sides uh, are foolish. They've hurt the game as much as they've helped it. I understand I'm the son of a Teamster, a Teamsters Union member and a Chicago Teachers Union member. So I, I, I understand um, togetherness in labor. I get it. But baseball is not helped anymore by sort of this hammering of each other to where a season can be missed like this one. Um, hockey finally got its act together after missing one, so maybe baseball has to have one too. The NHL actually benefited from it in the long term. But I don't know. I don't, you know, so there's rules. Like when I have a DH, I, yeah, I, I think I would leave the DH in the American League and not have it in the National. I like the difference between the two. I don't care about any sort of forced uniformity. Um, but you'd have to, by the way, I uh, agree with, there's another rules change I agree with, you can't come in and pitch and throw one pitch to one, or, you, or pitch to one batter, because it it's one of the things that lengthens the games. Stepping out of the batter's box, not allowed. One of the things that lengthens the games. Um, so there, there are things like that. The time of the game is a, is a major thing to me because it drives away viewers. It drives away participants. And our thanks to Michael Wilbon. What an awesome, wow. awesome guy and a great interview. That was so nice of him to spend some time with us. And again, that was just part one, Chad. You can listen to part two in our episode next week. We get into some interesting topics, including um, Black History Month. And we also speak about what he thinks the Cubs um, are doing this offseason and what his reaction is to the Cubs this offseason. And a big debate that Chad and I always have is, is it okay to root for the White Sox this offseason? Mike has some interesting thoughts on that as well. So stay tuned for next week. There's more with Michael Wilbon. And uh, we certainly encourage you to check that out when we release that episode as well. So much fun. Enjoyed the interview. Um, Marv Levy, Wayne Mesmer, and uh, Michael Wilbon. That's that's a quite a one, two, three in just our last couple of episodes. So, so much fun. So let's move on to the eighth inning. And it poses the question, Rhino, especially as the NL West now looks to be the powerhouse. And you look at the moves that are happening in different divisions in baseball. And if you take the Arenado situation out, uh, you know, the uh, NL Central was the least um, active uh season or the least active division in baseball uh what do you think i mean is the nl is is this the worst division in baseball right now the nl central yeah i mean it's so hard to say when you're looking at overall the you know the the baseball standings of who's pretty bad believe it or not chad i know this may sound crazy um but i think the answer is yes, but you know who comes into a close second is the AL Central as well. But mm. I do think that at the end of the day, when you're looking at a team where the Cardinals are the overwhelming favorite, and really there's no one else in that division that I think can really touch them. I mean, between the Brewers and the Pirates, who are in massive rebuild, the Reds, who I don't think the Reds are going to be as bad as everybody thinks, and same with the Brewers, but I certainly don't think they're going to be making the postseason. Yes, the the NL Central, Chad, is going to be a laughing stock other than the Cardinals 
Um, the Cardinals, I think, are going to pretty much dominate that division. I, I certainly think it's going to be a runaway for them, and it's it's not really a contest as far as I'm concerned. What about yourself? Yeah, I mean, you look at the uh, what they're doing with what the Mets are doing in the East. Uh, you look at uh, what the Braves are already have done. Um, the the excitement around the Marlins. I mean, I'm excited about the NL East. I think they're a strong division. The NL West, I'm excited about. The AL East, I'm excited about. The AL Central, you know, had three playoff teams last year. The Central, the Central League, uh, the division in the National League is absolutely, without a doubt, the honor of Major League Baseball right now. So it could mean that there is a lot of, uh, you know, the, the balance of the competition uh, could be strong, even though the Pirates have, have made some moves that makes, them, makes it look like they're not looking to compete. The Reds have obviously unloaded a lot of talent. Um, the Brewers, I'm not big believers in them, um, and, and they've just gotten older, and Christian Yelich has to figure things out in his, at the bat. Um, it comes down to Cardinals and Cubs um, in this coming year. And I just I just can't imagine a situation in a scenario where the National League Central um, is leading um, anything um, in the coming year. All of the other divisions have, have either have already kind of reached the echelon and now they're ready to compete or they've made some really interesting moves in this offseason that said basically they want to win it all. All right. I, I do. Yeah. And, and I still say that the Cubs right now, in my opinion, are the fourth best team in the NL Central. I really, truly believe that. I, I just don't see that. I don't see that. I think it's a one two race between them and the Cardinals. But we got to play the games, right? We got to play the game. So let's finish up. Speaking of games, Chad, in the ninth inning. And it was an interesting note when we talked to Michael Wilbon, we asked him about his first Cubs game and what that experience was like for him. And man, was that a cool game that he got to go to Braves Cubs, Fergie Jenkins on the mound and Hank Aaron hit a home run and the Cubs won the game. I mean, does it get any better than that? So Chad, I'd love for you to tell me about your first Cubs game. I don't think we've ever talked about this before, but what was your first Cubs game? How old were you? If you can remember, where was it? Do you remember they, who they played, what the score was? Give us the, the the details if you can remember. Go ahead. Oh yeah, I, I absolutely can remember it. It's uh, it's 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 one of my favorite stories that I've I've recounted. I guess I've never really told you about this, but I had just turned sixteen, and I lived, as you know, in downstate. I lived uh, not even downstate. I lived in like the country. I lived south of Champaign in East Central Illinois, and I remember driving to the grocery store and seeing my uncle John, who was a big part of my Cubs fandom. Um, and he was coming out of the grocery store. He sees me drive. He goes, oh, you're driving now. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, when are you going to go up and see those scrubs? And he would lovingly call them the scrubs, even though he was a Cubs fan. One of the more pessimistic Cubs fans I know, but I love him to death. Um, he, uh, and I said, what do you mean? When am I going to go up and see him? Well, he's, you can drive now. Why don't you go up there? And it never occurred to me being from the country, being from East central Illinois, where my family, my parents hated, they, they're fearful of driving in Chicago, anything with more than two lanes of an interstate, they were terrified of never occurred to me that I could just drive to a Cubs game. And so I'm like, I, I can do that. He goes, yeah, it's super easy. You just get on 57. Um, then, uh, get on, get on the damn Ryan and then get off on Addison. You're right there. And I'm like, hold on a second. I remember I had my checkbook register in my hand and I'm writing on the back of it, Rhino, um, 57, damn Ryan. So I'm imagine 16 year old kid in Chicago for the first time driving, looking for a sign saying the damn Ryan. Um, and then he goes, <laughs> then Addison. Right. And so, I mean, boom, boom, boom. And I found my way and I parked somewhere in somebody's yard and paid him 20 bucks. And, and it was a, uh, it was a, a Friday afternoon game. And, and they were playing, um, they were playing the Astros and it was turned out to be a blowout and the Cubs didn't do very well. And uh, we moved from the cheapest seats I could afford for me and my girlfriend at the time to uh, going up against the ledge, kind of like the opposite side of where the Bartman seats, but on the right, you know, the right field line. I don't even remember the section number, but, you know, sitting over there and, and I was just taking it all in and excited. The Cubs didn't win. Um, you know, but got in the car and headed home and, and I felt invincible that day. Like, oh, my God, the whole world's at my fingertips now. And that was the first of I would probably say thousands of, of Cubs games. I would say thousands, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Cubs games um, uh, from that moment forward. But how about you? So this would have been 1991, I suppose. Yes. Ninety. Nineteen ninety. OK. Um, mine is and I just pulled up the box score, but I remember the game. It was uh, June 29th. 1986 Cubs Mets I remember my father and I went with our synagogue 
And we sat in the second to last row of Wrigley, Chad. Now, mind you, I'm 11 years old, and this is the first time I'm at Wrigley. I've gone to plenty of White Sox games, actually, as a kid, because my family growing up, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but my family growing up were all White Sox fans. So they would always take me to White Sox games. But this was the first Cubs game I got to go to, and I kind of started becoming a Cubs fan when I was around nine years old. And I remember sitting in the second to last row, Chad, and I remember saying to myself, as long as I live, I will never allow myself to sit in these seats ever again. I will <laughs> always make sure to go and sit as close as possible. And, and I've done that ever since. And obviously you've been, uh, you know, very helpful in that way as well. But um, the final score was seven to four. It was Rick Sutcliffe versus Dwight Gooden. Gooden wow. hits a complete game. And Daryl Strawberry and George Foster hit home runs for the wow. Mets that day. And wow. this is peak Mets, mind you. This oh, is the yeah. year the wow, Mets wow. won the World Series. Yeah. So um, that was my first Cubs game. Not a bad one to go to. Certainly it would have been cool if the Cubs won. But that was the first time I ever had been to Wrigley Field. And like yourself, um, you know, been to countless more. But, yeah, I will always remember my first Cubs. I, do, I can't remember my – I can kind of remember my first baseball game, which was a White Sox game, but I can I, I don't remember the score or anything like that. But um, that Cubs game I vividly remember. So, yeah, 1986, June 29th, uh, Cubs-Mets. Pretty, pretty interesting stuff. So much fun. Love the stories, Rhino. And I cannot wait for part two of our discussion next week with Michael Wilbon. So much fun. Absolutely is. And uh, once again – Thank you to Michael Wilbon. We appreciate it. And we should also mention you can find Chad and I on social media. Go to our Twitter handles. I am at Ryan D. Lieber. Chad is at the Chad Gordon. Make sure to check out the Facebook page. It's the Chicago Cubs Friendly Confines Facebook page. We're always interested in interacting with you, the listeners. So for Chad, I am Ryan. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. Have a good one. See you at the ballpark. just a game for I've seen other teams and it's never the same when you're born in Chicago you're blessed and you're a field the first time you walk into Wrigley Field Hi it's Wayne Mesmer you're listening to Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines podcast Hey everyone, I'm Chad Gordon. And I'm Ryan Lieber. We're the hosts of the Friendly Confines podcast. Each week we'll bring you the latest Cubs news from the fans' perspective with some of the biggest names in sports. Joe Buck, welcome to the Friendly Confines with Chad and Ryan. Yeah, oh my God, I'm happy to do it. Pat Hughes, welcome to the seventh inning. Happy to be here, Chad. It is Len Casper. You got it, Ryan. Chad, happy to be with you guys. The Hawk, Andre Dawson. What is my distinct I'm doing fine, thank you. We're also excited to bring you new episodes as part of the Barroom Network. So if you're a Cubs fan or even just a baseball fan, be sure to check out the Friendly Confines podcast every week on the Barroom Network. I'm George Will, and you're listening to the Friendly Confines podcast with Chad and Ryan.